Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Tasting Anarchy. I almost said Anarchy. Uh, I was hoping you would. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm your host, Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by... Mason Joseph. And uh, we've got a pretty pretty well-developed show this week. Um, I think so. Yeah, I, 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 it was. I was a little bit late taking all these notes. I was actually kind of hoping that we could get Jackson Blood in for uh, another guest appearance, but he was busy, and I asked him last minute, uh, well, like we do. Yep, like we do. And so he he was busy, he had other things to do, but he will be on next episode. Oh, uh, to, good to know. Yeah, exactly. We'll be able to catch up with him and and see what's going on in his part of the wine world, and just kind of. Get some updates from a certified wine genius. So yeah, uh, but yeah, we, uh, we're as always. You know, we're covering how much government is in your drink, and we've got our wine reviews for this week. Mason, do you want to go first? I will let you go first. All right, this week because I went first the last couple. Oh, did you? Okay, all right. Well, yeah. uh, I will go first. Then I've got uh, another Texas wine this week, and I gotta say, I'm gonna start my review saying I'm a little bit disappointed in this wine. Uh, this is this one I've had for quite a while. This is from back when I went out to go plant with Ricky and I stopped in Texas Hill Country to get wine while I was out there and just check out some stuff. And I This was back in April, right? Yeah, back in April. So I've had this for a long time. Uh at least a long time for you know, white wine and also for me. Mm-hmm. So I love this this winery's location. And I had this wine there. I had several of their other wines. Uh, the one in particular that I thought was like super interesting for uh, Chisholm Trail, that's, that's who makes this, was mm-hmm. um, they have one called Lone Wolf, which is a Lenoir or Lenoir. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, also known as Spanish Black. Mm. And it's a sweet grape. So it's not my, it wasn't my favorite. I just thought it was very interesting. It was the first European grape varietal planted in Texas. And it was planted mm-hmm. as communion wine by the Spanish monks, uh, or the Spanish. Uh, I guess they're not monks. What are the What are the ones that started all the missions? The just missionaries, I guess. Mm. Uh, I you know I should know that I just don't. Yeah. So I, it wasn't my favorite. None of the wines that they had there were my favorite, but the location was really cool. It was mm-hmm. it was just kind of like out in the sticks. You had to drive down this dirt road for three or four miles to get out there. Uh, they had like a little pizza parlor attached to it or in, inside the building. Uh, and it was just very down to earth, pretty cool place. And the, the wines while I was there were very enjoyable. And this kind of reiterates the fact that a lot of, a lot of wine is, you know how like with psychedelics, Mason, people always talk about sight and setting is, you know, you have a good trip if you're in like a good mindset and a good place. But if you have, yeah. if you're in a bad place, then, you're, well, you, taste is subjective. Yeah, like you know, we've talked about it on the show before. Where like, if you, if it's a good and you know, if you're having fun with your friends and stuff like that, like that can take a not great wine and elevate it quite quite high. That's true. Um, and I think the most famous story of this is you and uh, PBR. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, where I thought, uh, yeah, exactly. I thought PBR was such a good beer, and it turned out I was very very wrong. <laughs> but but th- and I felt that way about this while I was out there. I had. I think I had a, a a a flight basically of of wines that they that they made, and I tried their Lone Wolf, I tried their Barbaresco, I tried this Vignet, 
and I think I had a fourth one. I don't remember what it was. They had another dry that was on uh, that that they had available for that, and um, I remember liking them pretty well, or, or thinking, mm-hmm. "Oh, these are pretty good." And I ended up buying this Vignet and the Barbaresco. If you guys go back, and I didn't actually look up the episode, I probably I probably could put it in the show notes. Um, I don't think I rated the Barbaresco very high either. Once I, I don't had believe it. so. Yeah, yeah. I, did you, I think the other one you had out there was a dry rosé from them? Uh, that is very Just likely. Looking at their website, yeah, I probably had yeah so. probably dry rosé because I I do actually like dry rosé. Okay, um, but this is now I guess two for two that once I'm not at the location, I just don't think this is a great representation of Vignet. So mm-hmm. what I'm drinking, Chisholm Trail Winery Vignet, twelve percent ABV. It's thirty five dollars a bottle, and that's kind of that's probably one of the things that impacts my opinion of this. If I had paid ten or fifteen dollars for this, I would have probably been okay with it. Mm-hmm. I would have probably rated it similarly and just been like, yeah, it's not great, but it's it's for fifteen dollars is a steal. This is thirty five dollars. It's a lot of money for uh, a wine that you just are not crazy about or that you don't really like that much. Um. Look-wise, very pale yellow, almost to the point of being clear, uh, but it has that kind of distinctive shine that that alcoholic beverages have. So it doesn't look like water because it's not like the texture of water visually. It's 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 because of the viscous. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. It's like it's it looks viscous. It it looks like it's slippery. So it's not quite like water, but it's very clear. Uh, it does have mm-hmm. and it has a slight slight yellow to it, particularly around the edges. It's a little bit darker. Uh, over overall, uh, what I get for the smell is very ripe fruit, and by very ripe fruit, I mean rotten fruit. So it's not hmm. it, it's it's probably what ten years ago I would have said I don't like about wine is it it smells a lot kind of like rotten fruit, um, like uh, maybe apricots that you've left out a little bit too long, and okay, uh, not my favorite. Uh, taste-wise, it's a little bit too sweet for me. And I think it is actually sweet. Not sweet in the sense that it's fruity. It's sweet. Like, I think it's sweet. It tastes sweet to me. Um, it also kind of has the sweetness taste of rotted fruit. Like, fruit that's been left out too long. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, very low acid, which I think is probably... It's one of the things that's difficult about Vignet. So, uh, it, it very low acid... Uh, Vignet does tend to have low acid, so that's not unusual. Uh, medium-bodied and very viscous. Aside from that, it's just not very descriptive. It's just kind of, it, it is what it is. It's just sort of that. So my conclusion on this was it's not great. It's not terrible. Out at the location, this is probably very good. Uh, I wouldn't go with this if you're going to eat their pizza because they have Italian varietals, Barbaresco, and that probably is going to go a lot better with pizza. But if you got one of like if you got like a veggie pizza or something like that, I could see drinking this with it. Uh, and mm. that's really all I have to say about it. It's not it's not amazing. It's not the worst thing I've ever tasted. Like I don't I'm not giving this like a zero out of five stars, but I would give this probably two point five out of five stars. It's not it's just not wonderful. I my question is and is maybe it's spoiled somehow. I actually thought about that as well. Is that I wonder if maybe maybe because it doesn't have a year on it either, which is interesting. It just says it just says Chisholm Trail Vignet, uh, Spirit of the Old West doesn't have a vintage year on it, and on the back it has almost no descriptors. It just sort of talks about the winery a little bit. So mm-hmm. it may have been kind of old when I got it. I don't know how old. And whites are usually made to drink now. 
Yeah. And then it's been sitting on, on my shelf for, you know, since April. So, yeah, maybe it's a little bit spoiled. I do recall this being more like ripe apricot flavor and mm-hmm. a little bit more acidic, but it could just, it could also just be a bad bottle of wine. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I, it, to me, it, it sounds like something has gone off on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is not to say that you're not. 100% correct and it's just not a good bottle of wine in general but to me it, it sounds much more like there's something wrong with it that and like, that could be uh in you know because you opened it today right it wasn't a, a fresh open no yeah well I opened it about uh, maybe an hour before we started okay yeah so like a couple couple of the lower end whites I've had um where I just had them open too long yeah you know, they just like I didn't reseal them well enough or something like that. You know, they just they went bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't sound like that's the case here. Which you know, it's fine. Yeah. Um, well, the, you, you know, know the happens. other thing too, it does happen. And and Vignier is one of the whites that I do tend to like, but I don't really like white that much. So yeah. Uh, so it, it's also this is this. I'm a little bit biased as it is, just because I prefer red wines. Uh, I highly recommend going out to the location because it's cool. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing is you're also spoiled for choice with Vignet in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, that's true. part of it is like... Yeah, Virginia Virginia does a really, really good job with Vignet. And, and here yeah. here in Texas, they do a good job as well. But uh, I think that... I think, honestly, this like... Yeah, for you. yeah, this is just not it for me. I, I like the whites yeah. that I like from here... Although, you know, we, I did a Vignet a couple of weeks ago that I thought was very good from uh, the people who make Sketch, uh, Vinovium, I think. Mm-hmm. And, or, or I think they sold it to me. I don't know who made it. I can't recall. But, and I thought that was very good. But yeah, I mean, like, Virginia Vignet is very good. And I haven't had a bad one. And they're usually around this same price point, about 30, 35 bucks when you buy it from the winery itself. Uh, you know, they don't often come to Total Wine or Kroger unless you're local to that area. Yeah, I mean, Kroger definitely, that's the thing is like, I can get a lot of Virginia Vignette at Kroger, but like, that's just because mm-hmm. I'm in Virginia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's easier there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so like, and here's the thing is, they've been around for 10 years as a winery. Yeah. Um, they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and it's awesome to see them doing something, you know? Yeah, I mean? it is. Like the, like they're, they're trying, like, I mean, they look like they're 40 minutes out of like Fredericksburg, which is right. where they're listed as being in, in Texas. And you know, they're probably not, but yeah, they're still pretty far out there. And like Fredericksburg, like is a good chunk of distance from Austin. It's like the same amount of distance from Austin to San Antonio is. Right. And not on the main road. So like they are out there, which is cool. Yeah, it is cool. And it's and it's a cool location too. Like they yeah. it's 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 what like you would expect a Texas winery to be. It's kinda like old western style. It's when you go in there, it's kinda like a it's like decorated almost like a biker bar kind of. It's it's like mm-hmm. it's very wild and it's just a really cool place. I recommend it. Like maybe for Chili Dose when you and I, if if you get to stay a little bit longer, we get to go kind of into the hill country a little bit and check out some stuff. I, I do want to go to this location again just because it's mm-hmm. cool. It's like a yeah. cool place. Like if we're gonna go out for pizza or whatever for lunch, like why not go here and just drive the you know forty five minutes or whatever from Fredericksburg 
or Fred is it Fredericksburg? Fredericksburg? Yeah, Fredericksburg. Uh, and go out there, and then also I, I think that you would actually enjoy some of these, not necessarily because they, not necessarily because it's like your style of taste, but be, they do have the they have the Lenoir, which is interesting, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's just a, kind of a cool area. I kind of want to try this Syrah. Actually, maybe I tried their Syrah there too, but. I kind of want to try their Syrah and see what they've got going on. And also, they don't grow it on site. So I think what they also do is that they make different ones throughout throughout time. And mm-hmm. uh, when you go over to Vivino online, you can see all of the ones that they've done because like people have rated them. And actually, mm-hmm. this Vignet is not there. So this may be a newer thing that they're doing. They haven't tried Vignet before, possibly. Maybe. And, 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 here's, the, yeah. and here's the thing is like, they are out in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. and like just because they have a lot of wines on Vino, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that all of them. You know, it's like um, Davidania's wine. Yeah, like out and like he tries something new, and yeah, you know, and, and it, it yeah. sticks around or it doesn't. Like, right, exactly, and and I think that that's kind of. I enjoy it. I I enjoy talking about them. I enjoy the location, all that sort of stuff. I just don't. I don't recommend this wine from my my taste perspective. I guess it, mm-hmm. you know I, I've been trying to get better about this in the show. Is uh, a lot of times like I'll get a wine and I don't like it, so I don't review it because mm-hmm. I only want to give positive reviews. But like, I don't think that's very honest to the listeners because then they don't know what I don't like. Well, I also don't think it's very honest to the the makers themselves because it. it you, who does it help by not being like truthful? Yeah, you know what I, mean? I guess that's like, true. Yeah, and you know, there's a difference between being like this is bunk and it's trash and they shouldn't have even tried. Whereas you're saying like, you know, here are the good qualities, mm-hmm. here are the bad qualities, and you looked for reasons that it may not be like may have been your fault. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean, like. Oh, like maybe it, the wine is too old. Maybe it was a, you know, I didn't store it right. Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's not like you were sitting there going like, oh, they peed my mouth and I'm mad. <laughs> like you've, you've really kind of given like a full breadth of knowledge there. And you just, hey, it may not be for you. It may be like this is exactly what they were going for in the bottle. And it just yeah didn't age well maybe like who knows right yeah, so. yeah exactly there's there's no way to know but you know what i i still recommend the vineyard or the winery it's not a vineyard because it's you know they it's they they buy their grapes from elsewhere uh one of the things they do say i i figured i'd point this out is on their site it says that uh they use 80 percent texas grapes in their wines so mm-hmm. so this is probably at least 80 percent texas vignette but if you it, well you guys won't notice this because you can't see it, but the bottle is labeled American, not labeled mm-hmm. Texas. So uh, that would mean that they are not using enough Texas grapes to call it Texas, or they've made a different decision for some reason to label it American. Well, we'll go over my little brief aside on labeling mm-hmm. uh, the art, the ad I saw. Oh, that was cool. Bit. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. yeah. So. I am drinking a California white wine. Um, so my wife and I went to Kroger this weekend and we were, you know, doing this standard, let's figure out what to buy for food and stuff like that. And I always like to peruse their wine section and, you know, try to pick up deals um, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And we had, I think we had a rack of ribs 
in the fridge. And I hate to say this, possibly since before you moved to Texas. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it was so in the freezer. Not in the fridge. Freezer. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. In the freezer. So, you know, we, we've been trying to be better about keeping the house cleaner. And, you know, just like, you know, hey, we've talked about getting a maid forever and never done it. Mm-hmm. So we've taken better cleanliness in our lives to uh try to be a higher standard and then also i was looking in the fridge and i was just like we've had these ribs forever so i asked my wife like hey after we finish the next round of food let's do the ribs so she said that she needed to get a white and so we were over in the far side of the kroger in the discount area which sometimes they have wine it's like there's a big enough kroger in your area there's always a clearance area and Mm -hmm. i always like to peruse it because sometimes you find great stuff sometimes you just find a lot of times you find products you didn't know existed yeah and then it's like you might not buy that one, but it gives you an idea for later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if you're like me, it's like, oh, I'll get this on Amazon because I know I'll find it cheaper. Right. So I saw a bottle that just said CA on it and it had the bear and it had like another thing and it was a white. And I was like, what about this? And my wife's like, good enough. Yeah. So this is Locations C4A California White Wine. Um, it's a blend of Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Vignet, and Rosani? Rosini? Oh, Ros- I'm not- oh Rosan. Rosan. Yeah. I'm not familiar with that varietal. Okay. Um, so in the bottle, it's very like melted butter almost. Oh, interesting. Like in color. But in the glass, it's very pale. Um, you know, it, it's not as pale as the one you were talking about, mm-hmm. your vignette, but it, it's definitely pale. Um, like when I smelled it, very sharp white fruit kind of smell, similar to me of what I expect from Sauvignon Blanc, like specifically new world ones. Cause I haven't really drank a lot of old world Sauvignon, Yeah, but definitely like new world Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. The first couple of sips, very sharp, very Sauvignon Blanc for, to me, like, but then it's like spicy and then kind of got buttery and has an incredibly long finish and very, very lingery. And on the back end there, you know, like, so, you know how bananas, like the artificial banana flavor is not, doesn't taste like real regular bananas? Yeah. So, you know, but that's I, because, it's because like, I guess, oh no, you're going to explain it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the, that's because those, those are really just the flavors of the original mega banana varietal, um, that basically went extinct. It's not actually extinct. You can actually buy it in some stores nowadays because it's coming back um, because they've did different farming techniques, but that's what bananas used to taste like. So this had almost that artificial banana flavor at the end, Mm, but like not in an off-putting way. Cause you know, like artificial banana can be very sharp and just kind of or like right in the Mm, tongue. mm. Like this kind of had that, but not, not enough. But I mean, very spicy, very interesting, like, and apparently the whole thing with this, um, and I'm kind of frustrated because they had some more of these wines, not specifically the white, but I think they may have had the red California, which sounded pretty good when I looked at it briefly, but basically this winemaker is going from locations and he's a, apparently like kind of a well-known winemaker. I'll get his name in a second. Okay. Um, but kind of just goes from, uh, David Finney. Hmm. Um, okay. But basically he kind of is going to these locations and trying to produce wines that are invoke the location. So like they make a Texas red that uses McPherson cellars, as we talked about right. before the show, like, and they, they've got like 
four different wine types that they name in it and then assorted Bordeaux varietals that are in this Texas red, which is crazy because, like, that's just a lot of different stuff in it. Yeah. So, but, you know, it's one of those things where it's, like, they're all about trying to, like, find that terroir and, like, do these different things. And, like, after having tried this one, I got it for, like, 11 bucks. Like, you can get it for, like, 20-something online, like, and it started like supposedly as 27 at Kroger, which it used to be like when Kroger would discount the wine, like what they discounted it for was what everybody else was selling it for. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and that, you know, I, but, I see that all the time at, at Kroger because I usually will scan, like if I see something I want, I'll scan it and mm-hmm. be like, well, what's the, what's the actual price of this? And yeah. Uh, <clears throat> now occasionally they do actually have really good deals, but yeah. So this was it like yeah. 11 bucks. Like I had, I got a, um, so the last wine I got, the 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 vignette that I did um, on last week's episode was like fourteen ninety nine because it was on sale. Okay, I got a Barbersville um, vignette which was nineteen dollars, about twenty, you know, like nineteen ninety eight or something like that. Um, but this varietal, I'm mad I didn't find it before. It's super good, like very interesting, sharp, spicy, like things you don't normally expect from a white. Like you know, Sauvignon's got it, but like. It, it's just like a and i don't know if it's maybe because like yours wasn't as good mm. i'm like enjoying it much more but like that's funny you know, that, th- that would be funny th- if that's like if, i mean that's definitely part of like how subjective taste is though but like yeah. that's so funny <laughs> yeah maybe like keep the show positive no, yeah. but like you know i don't think you were negative in like a hurtful way on yours yeah. but like um you know it, like it's spicy but buttery and then it you know, it's 30% new oak, like new French oak is the, like some of the fermentation was on or maturation. Um, but yeah, like if you can find this, cause like I had a hard time finding it on their website. Cause I don't know if they did like another release of it. It looks like it's probably a 2017 14.5% alcohol by volume. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I only spent like 11 bucks on it and it's not even like I spent $11. Like I, we had pretty high grocery bill this week cause we had, basically had a really low grocery bill last week. So we had a very high grocery bill this week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause, um, but yeah, like I, I can't recommend this more highly. Like, cool. you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the most amazing wine I've ever had, but it is so different with like that spicy and like yeah. buttery note and that kind of banana there. Like, and like, to me, it like had a very like invoking smell. So. Okay. Yeah. And actually, I mean, at $11, that sounds great. And like 14.5% ABV sounds super high for a white. Yeah, usually they're a little bit lower than that, but like that's that's interesting. And to be honest, on the first glass I had, like, I had a, you know, my wife had opened it for cooking. So I had a first glass before dinner that I finished with dinner. And then we took the dog for a walk and like, I was kind of feeling it, but like not in a like, oh, I'm a pleasantly buzzed way, like. I was kind of like, ah, hmm. yeah, okay. Did, like, did something I eat today like make me not feel well? Did the wine have something to do with it? But you know, I just kind of shook it off from there because I had, I don't think I drank enough water throughout the day. Okay, um, which I quickly like was rectifying this evening. But I, normally, I drink a lot more water during the day. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like it, you know, fourteen point five. That is pretty high, like you said, and um. You know, I don't know where, which variety, which of the varietals that comes from. Cause that's like, it's definitely not super sweet. So yeah. I could, maybe that's where it's coming from. But, well, it's also, it's yeah. California. Maybe they had like a really, like a really, uh, 
the hot year, so a lot of this was was very ripe and had a lot of sugar in it. Uh, yeah. I think I could be totally wrong, but I think uh, Roussan, I think that's uh, Hermitage. So I think that's higher alcohol. I don't know for sure. Is that is, gotcha? We'll have to do some research on that so everybody can know. Because, but I think that I think that whites from Hermitage is uh, Roussan. I think that's their white varietal. Okay, uh, but I don't remember. So gotcha. Uh, I could, and I could be totally wrong on that. It could be a completely different thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's that's what I recall in my head. So, uh, but let's go ahead and since you and I both had uh, vignettes, I, I wanted to. Uh, give a little bit of history as we are doing uh, now. Rosan originally from Rhone. Rhone. Okay, interesting. Okay, uh, what is Hermitage? Because maybe maybe that is Rhone, and I'm just Hermitage. Because that's what I'm associating with it in my head. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Hermitage wine. It says Hermitage wine region and wine searcher. It is. Oh, this is interesting. We're going to be talking about Cote de uh, Cote Roti in a, in just a minute, mm. and that apparently it is um, on par. It says uh, those are on par with those of Cote de Rotar. Okay, interesting. So we'll we'll uh, we'll get into that. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, oh, and it does say that they're known for Rosan. So okay, uh, interesting. All right. Well, we're gonna we're about to get into a little bit of wine history. That's going to talk a little bit about that, and that is. Um, just Vignet. So, uh, Vignet, a white grape varietal. Uh, it is, it's typical of being a little bit fuller bodied than most white grape varietals. Uh, there, there are exceptions, but, you know, it, it, that's usually it's got a little bit more uh, texture, a little bit fuller bodied. It's, it's more in the red area, which makes a lot of sense that, like, I like it better. It doesn't have that grippiness that, that, that I like, but it, that's typically what it's got. Uh, it also tends to be very aromatic, so uh, think think herbal herbal notes, uh, chamomile, lavender, thyme, uh, sometimes pine flavor, like a pine smell, uh, hmm. which is is interesting. And then taste wise, typically think s- stone fruit. And what the, what they mean by stone fruit when they're talking about that in wine is they mean apricots, basically peach, apricot, any any sort of fruit with a pit is stone fruit. Uh, and it's because a pit is a stone, which maybe I'm like I've missed the boat totally on that or whatever. But I never re- re- referred to any sort of fruit with a pit as a stone fruit. You you have kind of um, well. I, I, I mean now now that we're in the wine world, I have. But well, no, like I mean, up. like I knew those as stone fruits a long time ago. Mm. Okay, Cause, yeah, because like, that was always was like very a, weird to me. Yeah, I think it was like a science class or something okay. like that. Okay, all right. So yeah, so those types of fruit, um, although plum has a pit, and plum is not like these. So, Correct. So that's interesting. Um, so, But they're saying usually apricot, peach, um, those types of those types of stone fruit, I guess, is what you're going to be getting out of a uh, vignette. Uh, then I guess the history, history of it is um, it's a very, very old grape, but it is... Uh, it's not as well known until recently as a lot of the older white grape varietals. So mm-hmm. one of the reasons that they it, it didn't really get planted a lot was it is unpredictable when it comes to yield. So it's it's kind of hard to tell how much it's going to get each year. Uh, it's naturally low in acid. So 
when people were planting white grape varietals and trying to get the flavors and stuff for white wines, this didn't really give that. So people who would see a white wine and expect a more acidic wine were not getting that out of Vignet. And so that, mm-hmm. so it was a little bit less produced. Um, it, it takes a longer time for the sugars to develop. So if you don't have a long growing season, you're not going to get good flavors out of this out of this varietal. This is why kind of it it be, I don't think it's from this region originally, but it took uh, a lot of it, it was southern France is where a lot of its uh, growth was. So in the late 1960s, 1960s, on, mm-hmm. only 35 acres of vignette existed in the world. Oh wow! Yeah, so it, it had been basically pulled out everywhere else because it just wasn't what people wanted. Um, in particular, it was in uh, Condieu and Chateau Grillette. I think I'm saying that right, or it might be Grillette, uh, G-R-I-L-L-E-T. Uh, but then in the 1970s, Californians and Australians found it out and, and were like, we like this. We want to start trying this out and seeing what, what we can make out of it. And they started planting it in California and Australia. And so mm-hmm. now it's planted pretty much all over the world. Uh, we You can find it in Italy. You can find it in Spain. Although in Spain, it's a little bit frowned upon because it's illegal to because of the restrictions on uh, what you can plant in different regions. You can only mm-hmm. you can only plant vignet there as an experimental. Uh, huh. Yeah. So it's it. So there there it does exist in places like Rioja, but it's not really allowed. So I didn't realize Spain. Like I knew Europe had a lot of restrictions, mm-hmm. but I didn't think Spain had like that level. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they do in, in certain regions. I don't think it. I don't think it's universal, but in certain regions, huh. there there does seem to be restrictions. At least that's what the article I was reading about the history of Vignet said. Um, but so genetically, Vignet is um, very very ancient. Uh, it, but it's it is a mutated either child or a mutated parent of uh mondeus which we've talked about i think once or twice before not in any depth but and i could be also pronouncing it wrong it's m-o-n-d-e-u-s-e which is is a black french grape varietal they do still make dry red wines out of this uh Mm -hmm. it's not a very common one it's a lot of it i think switzerland grows it um it's it's just not very popular. It's not a very common one, but it is the ancestor of, of several different different types of uh, different types of grapes. So it's it's an ancestor of a lot of those. But uh, it it they call it a parent sibling relationship. So they don't know if it's like related to it, like as a sibling, or if it is the parent of, or if it is just a mutated version of that grape, hmm. which is interesting. So, uh, but it it means that. That means it's either a grandparent or a half sibling of Syrah, which is interesting. Syrah, you get very, very different flavors out of, uh, and so oh, Syrah yeah. is, a, is a is a black grape or red grape. Um, but also, researchers at the University of California have been doing uh, genetic testing of Vignet for a long time, and they are saying that it is related to. It's also related to, in some way, uh, the Piedmont varietal of Frisia. Which we've talked about a little bit. I believe that that is used in rosés, mm-hmm. and um, which, which also means that it is a relative of Nebbiolo, which makes very dark reds in Italy. Uh, that's uh, 
Tuscans, I think, have a lot of Nebbiolo in them. And uh, I know there's an, there's another one. It might be Chianti. might might also be full of uh, Nebbiolo. Uh, or Barolo. Barolo, that's it. Barbaresco and Barolo are Nebbiolo. Uh, so, not Tuscan. I was wrong on that. Uh, so, anyways, that's Vignet. It's a, it's a it's an interesting grape. It's my favorite, maybe my second favorite of the white grape varietals. I really like Albarino and I really like Vignet, both of which are fuller bodied, less acidic, and have a little bit more grip to them, like a little bit more heavier mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. That tends to be. It seems like I like warmer region whites when it comes to whites. So. Uh, I also like a lot of warm region reds. I wonder if that's like a trend. Do I if I just like warm region grapes in general? Well, I think you. I think it's a some sort of like weird psychological thing because mm-hmm. you just like warm weather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh, hang on. Yep. The dogs are fighting. having dog war. Yep. All right. Sorry about that. That's all right. So they're they're fighting each other, but like, <laughs> I think that Mulder's kind of just like whiny. He's like a, he's still kind of a puppy, but he's also almost the size of Foxy now, so he, mm-hmm. he can't really be whiny. <laughs> so, because uh, he and he starts it a lot too. Like he'll run up behind her and like bite her and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, yeah you're not you're a puppy still, but like you're also big. <laughs> so, yeah, but like just because you're large, I mean, like think about like how big you were when you were young. That's so. true. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyways, we 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 wrapped up Vignet. Uh, we'll go. Yeah. We'll. I'll probably cut that little like skirmish out. All right, so that's all of the information that I prepared for Vignet. We we kind of uh, I think we did a pretty good job covering that. We're trying to introduce people to different grape varietals. Vignet, as I said before, my fa- one of my favorite white grape varietals. Uh, mm-hmm. You you have it quite a bit. One uh, frequent. I do. I wouldn't say frequent guest, but a two time guest of. Tasting Anarchy, Nate Tibitza, that's his favorite white grape varietal as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Nate was, like, introduced us. Oh, I think so, like, yeah. Maybe not necessarily you specifically. Oh, no, no, like, for sure he did. Because I, yeah. I remember when I had my first glass of Vignet, and it was with him. Yeah, I think, like, I I think because you liked it and he suggested it is why I sought it out. Mm-hmm. Um, And I... I I actually, yeah. what's interesting is I remember my very first taste of Vignet was mm-hmm. almost exactly one year ago Oh wow! when Nate visited Texas and we had um, a sample of McPherson Vignet, hmm. which is related to what you reviewed just now. Yeah. Because I remember telling him, this is interesting that I've come like almost full circle on this, is even when you and I had been doing the show for a little while... I remember telling Nate, I don't like whites. Mm-hmm. And he, he was like, well, Vignet is a little bit different. You might like this. And I tried it, and I was like, oh, I do like that. And then uh, and then we I think we tried the McPherson Albarino, and I also like that. So mm-hmm. so that was almost one year ago that I started actually being okay with whites and starting to try them a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> other than the ones that like I kept testing yeah. upon you that you well, generally enjoy. Yeah, I did, I did generally enjoy them, and, but it was usually – it was I think we did Riesling and uh, – Maybe Grigio. Grigio, yeah. I think Riesling and Grigio was pretty much the only my only exposure. Mm-hmm. And but I had always kind of had it in my mind that now nah, I don't I don't really like whites. So yeah, but that's the classic you kind of yeah. like. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, it's like not that you don't learn, but like you kind of have this very 
very interesting way of being like, yeah, I'm not interested in that because of this. Yeah. And it's like, but you like this. <laughs> right. Well, and it's, and it's true. I mean, also, it's there's so many reds that I think mm-hmm. that was kind of my deal with it was I was just kind of like, well, I, I have so much that I can try in red. Why would I spend my time on whites when I don't really like whites? <laughs> and and I still and I still do that to some degree. I mean, most of the whites that I have, or most of the wines that I have, and even like you and I have talked about this. I've got 130 bottles of wine coming from Last Bottle Wines, mm-hmm. which if you guys want a, a discount on your first purchase at Last, Last Bottle Wines, go over to TastingAnarchy.com, and you'll get ten dollars off your first purchase. And yeah, it helps us out. Code. Yeah, if you use our code, yeah. it helps us out. You can click the link that's on the on the site. You don't even have to put in the code. You just make your first purchase from the link, and that helps us out. But uh, in this 130 bottles, I do have some whites coming, and I also have some rosés coming, which mm-hmm. which are not my normal go-tos, but because of being introduced to more stuff and taking a lot of the classes from Wine for Normal People and you trying different things and telling me about them and me going, like, oh, actually, that sounds like something I might like, and talking to Nate and, other, and Jackson Blood, who will be on hopefully next episode – uh, you guys have all kind of introduced me to different whites, which is interesting because talking to other people in the wine industry, it turns out that maybe I took a, an unusual path into wine because people mm-hmm. people tend to start out with whites and sweet and sweet hmm. and sweeter whites and then move into reds and that sort of thing. That's interesting. Whereas I kind of start out with fruit wine, which is sweeter, <laughs> and yes. and then and then move directly into reds from that. And just kind of mm. skipped over whites altogether, which is kind of yeah. an unusual path. Yeah, it is. And that's a, like, I would not think most people start in, uh, like, sweeter whites, but, you know, mm-hmm. that, like, I think that I'm sure it bears out, like, it's not just the way I think, <laughs> you know, like, that That seems like a surprising statistic to me, or yeah. well, anecdotal it, statement. Yeah, that would be my guess, it's more... Probably more anecdotal, but let me ask you this. Sure. What do you think Crusaders started out drinking? Beer? <laughs> that, <laughs> that's actually what I was thinking as well. But the art, next article we have is called uh, Crusader Winery Unearthed in Israel. And hmm. uh, it's by Ben o- O'Donnell, uh, O apostrophe D-O-N-N-E-L-L. Uh, it's from Wine Spectator, which is the magazine that I subscribe to. Occasionally we do articles from this. Uh, and it was actually an interesting article, and the only reason I thought it was especially interesting is I like history a lot, as, as mm-hmm. do you. And also, if you and I ever get a chance to start just traveling the world doing different wine things, this is one that I want to go to, and you'll find out by the end of the article why that is one that I think would be really cool to go to. Cause, okay. Uh, but anyway, so uh, when renovating a building in – I'm going to try to pronounce this word, but it's uh, me Elia which is uh, M-I apostrophe I-L-Y-A, which is a, a town or city in Israel. Uh, businesswoman Sal- Salma Asaf found ancient rubble under her building. Turns out that this is the remains of, a, of the largest Crusader-era winery discovered in the region. Below the Crusader level is an even larger Roman-era winery. Huh. Uh, and I'll go ahead and take kind of like a side note on this. I didn't I didn't summarize this part of the article, but it's one of the things that they mentioned was that this seems like it might have been like a custom crush location. 
which I mm-hmm. I would love to talk to like a wine historian or something like that about this, but the way that they indicated it in the article was that custom crush is kind of the way people used to do it. Is that you were a grower, you grew, and then you would bring your grapes in, they would crush it, and then you would bring it home and you'd ferment it on your own. Because mm-hmm. because the crushing facilities are expensive and you know you don't want to use them. So this appears to have been the crush facility for the entire region and that they produced a enough wine that this is this is probably the largest producer of wine in the area as far as they can tell. Uh, now it is actually the first time they've actually also discovered a winery in this region, which indicates that there were very few of them during this time, which is about 11, 1100 to uh, 1300 AD. Well, that would make sense given that like most of the Muslim population doesn't necessarily consume. Exactly. And so like, yeah, yeah. And maybe they, that, they may not have like, mm-hmm. they may not have unfavorably attacked, you know, Jews or right. other people that did consume. Well, this is interesting is that this region was actually under Christian control for 200 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, um, so this, this particular location, it is, uh, 129 square feet of the crushing area. So it's a very large crushing area. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they call it the, uh, they call it the treading, the treading area. So it's like where people would like go around and stomp, but there's no, uh, fermentation chamber, no permanent fermentation chamber. So most, most of the time in ancient wine sites is they have like the, the, the primary crushing area and they have a secondary initial fermentation area. But it, uh-huh. it appears that this was more of an industrial operation. So they had a they would crush it, and then you would capture the juice in either clay pots or in wood barrels, and then you would move it to a new location, and that's where you would do your fermentation. Um, hmm. So that's I think that's very interesting. So this is something that they think was probably introduced by the Franks, who were in that area at the time due to the um, Crusades. Uh, so they've not been able to identify what grapes were crushed there but they're hoping to find that eventually it is fully excavated but they haven't they don't have any grape material yet from it Mm -hmm. um so this is kind of the next point is that uh the quality of the press tells an interesting story for the region it indicates one that it was built by the franks so it's it's a frankish press It, it has a lot of the styles of uh frankish press presses from france uh and it's large enough that it likely produced much of the region's wine and because they haven't found any other wine-producing sites in the area, they think maybe this – not necessarily that it was the only one, but there wasn't very many of them because this one was large enough that it, that it did it. Um, mm-hmm. So – and then it, they said – and this is to your point – is they said when the Muslims took over the, re- the region after the kingdom of Jerusalem collapsed in about 1300, uh, they just basically built over this. They didn't, they didn't even bulldoze it. They just built on top of it. <laughs> um so uh because Muslims don't drink wine or or those Muslims didn't drink wine I think some do uh especially I think Spanish Muslims drink wine but uh anyway so yeah so when they took over the kingdom of Jer- Jerusalem they built over it um so now uh this is the reason why I think this is interesting for you and me Mason is that Salma Asaf who's a businesswoman in Israel uh she built a wine focused restaurant on top of this site so you hmm. you can now have good modern Israeli wine, good mm-hmm. four class or five or, or what not four star but like high class dining while you're sitting around the site and viewing it through the protective glass. 
So it's, oh, that's pretty awesome. It's really cool, yeah. So they, they, it's 800-year-old ruins, but they basically built like a glass casing around it so that, that restaurateurs don't, don't destroy it or damage it or in any way. And there is still some excavation going on because there's a Roman site underneath that. But um, the uh, Crusader level has been fully excavated, but you can go in and enjoy some delicious Israeli-style – well, actually, I think it's actually French-style cuisine because it's called Chateau du Roy – R-O-I. So it's Chateau du, D-U, R-O-I. So mm-hmm. whatever, the, I'm not sure what the cuisine is. It doesn't say it in the article. But uh, if you and I ever get the opportunity to just kind of travel and check out wine areas when we're in Israel, I'd like to go to this location because it's kind of cool to see, to like eat dinner in 800-year-old wine ruins. Yeah, that's a that's a really like interesting idea and concept that mm-hmm. like – I, you know, and this is to kind of like how much government's in your drink, yeah. you know, like, like I, I kind of say like our title derisively, but like, I don't think in like most of Europe or like most of America, like you would have been able to continue operate that business that mm-hmm. way. Right. Yeah. And you know, yeah, like, it's I think really they cool. would have like stopped you from doing that. And, it, and, you know, it's kind of a comment on like how old the region is where they're just like, no, this, this is, this is what happens when you. You open, you yeah. know, you, you start digging. Well, You're going to find crap, yeah. document it, move on. <laughs> yeah, well, it almost seems like in, in this case, the, the lady who, who is she, – she owns actually multiple locations and, and her plan originally for this location was to renovate it but then make it a um, – so the, the the she bought the building above it, which was uh, from the Muslim era, so about like 1400. Mm-hmm. really old she was going to renovate it modernize it and make it a hotel so people could go live in this like cool muslim era hotel that was like de- designed by them and, and they can still go into the building and they, i think there's uh on the upper floors there's still a hotel like that but she was mm-hmm. she was like this is too cool like i can make a restaurant out of this instead so it's kind of a free market success story in some ways uh yeah. to borrow to borrow a segment from rillo and slappy um it's they they she kind of identified this, but also it seems almost like she didn't have to. There's so many ancient ruins in this area that that there's no like it doesn't seem like there's any legal restrictions on this. I think you can just kind of do whatever you want. And she because she cares about the city, the uh, I I don't know how to say it, but I think it's like me Elia. So it's M I I L Y A again for any of you who are who want to look it up. Uh, she is is actually very well known for trying to restore this and trying to make like the history of her area part of the commerce of the area as well. Like that's mm. that's her business plan, and apparently she's done a very good job of it. She's I wouldn't say I don't know if she's like a multimillionaire or anything like that, but she's done very well and uh, and has preserved a lot of, of several different sites. So she's she's a pretty cool lady, and and I think that's like kind of a cool thing too is like just to tell everybody who. Who would be like, oh well, if the government didn't step in and like preserve the sites, nobody would. But like, she found a way to make money off of an eight hundred year old ruin, and, and preserved it. Yeah, and preserved like, it. Right, exactly, exactly. I, I for at first I thought you were gonna say she opened a custom crush facility there. I was like, holy crap! Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that it comes full circle. <laughs> that'd be really cool too. But no, like a restaurant, very cool. You can go in there. So when you and I end up going to Israel, which is one of my dream locations, which will be very interesting for you and me to go visit that together because, you know, you being an atheist, me being a Christian, to like go to these places, mm-hmm. we'll have very, very different appreciations for them. 
So yeah, and I, and I think plague. that like if we if we can do that together, the the content of those episodes will be so interesting. Yeah, and like I'm kind of against going to Israel because like it's an apartheid state. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, that's true. Yeah, uh, you know, but like I also recognize <laughs> that there are many Israelis who don't want what's going on, and they, you know, like I don't necessarily agree with like completely shunning people for their government's actions when you know they're quietly resisting in their own way but like to stick your head up like involves possibly death you know what i mean like you know like there's a there's a certain hardline stance you can take on a lot of things and you know i can appreciate that concept but like i'm also not a progressive where it's like i can't have any fun and nothing will ever be good yeah yeah (laughs) like because the ringworm wasn't treated right or you know whatever pick your poison with them but like yeah yeah i i get i get what you're saying like you know this is and maybe this is just from my my upbringing in general is uh like i don't want to say i don't care about the palestinians because you and i talk about that a lot and uh and i agree with you with with for the most part with the state of israel but it's like at the same time like to me that's not I wouldn't say it's not important. It's not. It's not really something that's going on now. The, the most recent episode of Tom Woods, or not. I wouldn't say the most recent, but a very recent episode of Tom Woods, uh, kind of changed a lot of my view on that. Because and I and I'd like to read that book that he was talking about, which was. Uh, oh man, what was? Do you remember the the name of the book? The Sheldon Richmond book. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Sheldon Richmond one. Um. I'll look just listen to like four episodes of Scott Horton this week. Oh weekend, yeah, <laughs> um, and they were talking about it because it's a Libertarian Institute yeah. book. Like, um, uh, it's called "Visiting it's called, Palestine" yeah. or "Freeing Palestine." Yeah, it's, or, it's, yeah, it's uh, Sheldon Richman. It, the episode is called "Israel and Palestine: A Reexamination." Uh, Sheldon Richman, author of the book called "Coming to Palestine." Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like he was talking about that, and I was like, "Oh, this is very interesting." I actually ha- I have a lot of uh, members of my family that are Jews for Jesus, so mm-hmm. like this is one of those things like they're super into Zionism, and mm-hmm. what but what's interesting is I was raised very different than the whole Zionist thing, which is that uh, you can't like force God to make the end of days, yeah, and and that and Sheldon Richman re- like kind of mentioned that in the episode, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that was like a thing outside of my family. Uh, because like you know I'm not around I'm not around very many Jews like my family we're descended my grandfather was is a holocaust survivor so like like we're descended from that but I don't really have a lot of exposure other than my own personal exposure to like learning a little bit of Hebrew and like reading Hebrew scripture and things like that in in Hebrew that kind of thing um so I don't have a huge ex- huge cultural uh exposure I guess to that mhm um and but like a lot of my family is very into Zionism, but for me it's kind of like, eh, like what's the? I don't understand the point. Like, I understand having a homeland for your people, but when like Sheldon Richman was talking about it, it was it was more like he was kind of going like, well, like genetically there is no people, and this is actually I think getting way too controversial for our show. But like, go ahead and check out that episode. I would be I I mean I would be more than happy to listen to other people in the audience. I'm not going to bring them on the show because our show's not about this, but. Uh, if you go listen to episode, uh, 1516 of the Tom Woods show, Sheldon Richmond's got a new, sh- new book out. I think it's very interesting. 
I don't know a lot about this. I also don't really have a strong position on it because it's not my area. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to know my area, it's apparently wine and software development. So you can you can go listen to me on any number of shows c- coming on talking about wine. And you can also listen to me talking about like Bitcoin software development on the most recent episode of Rollo and Slappy show, which I can give the episode if you guys want. I think it's like 168 or 161. Yeah, something like that. So uh, Yeah. But yeah, that's the, you know, and this is one of those ones that it's a classic property rights situation. And yeah, I think there's actually some really interesting discussion inside of the episode mm-hmm. um, because like, one, one, one 165 had, or no, I'm sorry. 166 is my episode. Is that what you said? Yeah. 166. Yeah. Uh, no, I said one or eight. So, but like one of the things that I've always had an issue with, like people who talk about like the absentee landlord is, mm-hmm. and like, and this is one of those things where like, you know, I don't know, it's going to kind of, we don't have time to go into it necessarily, yeah. but like one of the issues that I have with like the idea of like the Bitcoin ledger solving a lot of issues mm-hmm. is in my opinion, part of the problem with Africa is people don't recognize property rights in general. So whether you can prove it with the ledger or not, yeah. like even when they, you know, had incontrovertible paper records, you know, like legitimate signed, stamped, whatever, like real records, people didn't, you know, they didn't respect that right to begin with. So what does this solve? And like, that's the thing that like, you know, I, I'd love to talk to Walter Block, like kind of one-on-one to either have him tell me what book to read to, or what art, you know, like the classic Walter Block, you know, as he would say, he's a professor. He can never answer the question that was actually asked. (laughs) Um, Right, right. however he phrases that which is usually way better than what i just said but like the thing that frustrates me is like it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter if the landlord was absent okay the landlord could have enforced his property rights at any point had the tenant not upheld the other part of it right right so the fact that they sold the land out from under the palestinian or not to me is irrelevant. Oh, I, yeah, now, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, but I also understand and I can also appreciate the idea that like we've been paying, you know, dues to this person for, you know, this family has been, we've been paying dues to this family for a million billion years and we've never seen him. We've never talked to him, any of that stuff. And then all of a sudden, no, 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 you're, you're here comes the Israelis to frog march you out claiming that you're, absentee landlord sold you the land right right sold them the land yeah. or you know so like i i get the i get the sadness of it and i don't like i think it's very important to look at like what israel is doing regardless of whether the initial taking of the land was good or not like having an open-air ghetto yeah after what was done to the jews in the holocaust which was obviously very terrible but it's not like other states haven't done the same sort of thing before just maybe not on the industrial newsreel scale except for you know when china decided to starve like a hundred million people by killing sparrows because they're crazy so 
you know, so like there's, there's that classic thing, but yeah, I think that's a discretion, digression from what, what we need to talk about. Um, and I think we have, uh, an area of the world that you and I are very interested to, in to talk about that's next, right. but we have to do it pretty quick. Yeah. Okay. Well, 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 this is a pretty short article. It's something that yeah. you and I both love Chilean wine. Um, Carmen mm-hmm. here in particular is is one of one of my yes. favorite wines, it, and it's it's so interesting because Chile Chile is like developing as a wine region, and it's kind of hit or miss in some regard. But like you can still get a lot of value out of Chile, um, and it's just a cool it's just a cool part of the world. It's just cool. So yeah, I mean mm-hmm. when your when your country is just a thousand miles long, long yeah, but like yeah, right two inches thick. Yeah, 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 it's crazy. It's it's like it's just a cool place. So. Um, this article is called uh, Ferocious Frost Hits Chilean Vineyards. It's by Amanda Barnes, who I, I believe we've done an article by her before. She uh, writes for Decanter Magazine. She's not, not, a, bad, uh, not a bad journalist uh, when it comes to like wine stuff. Uh, although I do recall reading an article from her where it was very like global warming political. But like, you know, mm-hmm. that's either, neither, neither here nor there. Um, so... Anyways, the article uh, refers to a unusual weather occurrence in, in Chile. Now, they do tend to have to deal with frosts quite frequently, but it's usually only one late frost. So, But this year, they've had to deal with two late frosts. And so vineyards in Chile are reporting uh, a shoot loss. So for those of you who don't know, a shoot is like a little bit of the bud that comes off of the vine. Vines during winter go dormant. They usually trim that off and then... In the spring, you have shoots, and the shoots are where new new vines grow, and the grapes are going to grow off of that, and that's what produces the wine that you're going to drink. But in this year, uh, they are reporting shoot loss of nearly 100% in some vineyards, um, and it's due to this very late frost. And um, now this is – it says here uh, from frost from last week, this is actually referring to October 3rd. Uh, so, th- so actually, mm-hmm. I wanted to bring this article up last week, but we had other things to talk about. So, I went ahead and saved it for this week. This is actually, I think, it's just interesting for you and me because we like Chilean wine. Um, so, the entire country ex- experienced this cold spell. Uh, they got to negative uh, 2.5 degrees Celsius in some places. Yeah, oh, pretty cold. cold. And uh, I am not going to be able to pronounce this correctly, but it's uh, col cog. Colcaga, so it's uh, C-O-L-C-H-A-G-U-A, was the possibly the heaviest hit. Um, there, there, it was hit. Multiple regions were hit, but that was that seems to be the most heavily hit. Um, in an interview with Rene Vasquez of Casa Silva, he reported that of his thirty-one hectares, or thirty-one hectares were affected, but of those thirty-one hectares, twenty-four were one hundred percent losses. It's huge, one hundred percent losses of the the bud. But I that's one of the things I wanted to kind of explain. So this doesn't mean that the vines are dead or that they lost all of their harvest. It it just mm-hmm. means that the that the buds died and it's going to have to rebud. So they don't know exactly how bad this is going to be because it's got to rebud. But this is this is mm-hmm. ten to, to twenty days into the growing season. And that means that you're missing 10 to 20 days of the growing season, so they may have to brick it longer. Um, if they can't brick it longer, they may have to harvest early. And so you're going to be getting lower sugars, different a different profile in your wines. 
Uh, and so anyway, so in this interview, they talk, they talk about it a little bit. The, the majority of the wines that are early budding that are in the area are Merlot, Syrah, Malbec, and um, those are all in that, that region, which is uh, – do you want to try it? It's Kaleka. No, okay. <laughs> I looked at it before, and I, I know I can't. Yeah, it's it. it's it's a tough word to pronounce. C A. Once again, for everybody who's trying to follow this, it's C A L C H A G U A. So, fortunately, this doesn't seem to have affected years in my favorite from the from the country, which is um, Carmenere, uh, but it, it does affect some other ones. And I actually have up on my rack right now a couple of bottles of. Uh, of Malbec that are from that region that are, that are very good, I think. I also have some Cabernet Sauvignon, but Cabernet Sauvignon tends to bud later, so this is probably not affected by this either. Um, Chile grows great wine. It's a little bit hard to identify it, but uh, this is it's a bummer. It's a real bummer because uh, this is going to definitely affect the world prices on wine, and uh, particularly because they, they do produce quite a bit, and Merlot, Syrah, and Malbec are not necessarily their most well-known or their largest, but... They they do it is it is going to impact it and I think that's relevant to this show because um, you know we talk about economics a lot and the in in the wine world particularly nowadays the world economics of wine are affected by what happens in different regions and wine is one of those things that is so dramatically affected by climate um, so you know that's something that's that's going on in. Chile. Uh, there's there's uh, two other regions that were affected by that, and I can pronounce these. I think Casablanca and San Antonio. Uh, also, it says uh, there's been a drought in Chile for quite a long time, so they've not been able to employ their normal methods of frost prevention, which is hmm. um, basically spraying water on them at night. So if they spray water hmm. on them at night, it doesn't freeze. And uh, because they're continuously spraying water on it, so they don't get the frost damage. At but because of the drought, they've not been able to do that. Is this how much government is in your drink? I don't know because I don't know if it's a law or if it's just something they've chosen to do, or if it's just that the I water's mean, just not available. Maybe it's a. I was gonna say maybe it's a market thing. Maybe it, it could be, and and I don't know. I didn't look into it very much. Um, but this is something that's very interesting. I I think. What do you think about this, Mason? I, I think this is gonna this is gonna affect some of my most my, you know my favorite wines because even the Carmenieres that we normally drink they do tend to be blended with these other things. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you and I are gonna either get discounted wines or if we're gonna get Carmenieres that are more straight Carmenier. You know, the, there's like a kind of like six or seven different ways you mm-hmm. can take this because like you know what we see in like because chile is um lower tier wine perceived exactly yeah so will we see more like eastern europeans Mm. because there's less available in chile for all Mm -hmm. tiers maybe you know what are we you know how are we to say that like okay you know this is the beginning of the growing season you know they have this 15 20 day but like Who's to say that they won't come out the other side, and this will have been a blessing in disguise? Yeah, I think that that's that's a you know great I mean? that's like, a great um, assessment because you know this does happen sometimes that that you do get these late frosts, it it freezes off some of the early bud, and you have a much lower yield, but you have the incredibly high quality yield because the plant is putting one hundred percent of its 
nutrients and effort into what it does produce, which is a smaller yield, but higher, higher, higher in flavor and complexity into, you know, so you may, we may be getting, and I want to briefly, briefly discuss this, but I know that we're kind of running a little bit long. Well, let me, let me go with what okay, I was thinking real it. quick. Cause like, what do we, you know, how are we to say that they wouldn't have had like an even hotter, longer growing mm-hmm. season and this actually took the need to harvest earlier yeah, away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they harvest during the normal time. Right. So, you know, we, we don't know how this is going to affect things. We think it could be bad. And I think it's because we're in tone to think things will yeah. be bad that we're seeing a possible badness here where this is, we yeah. don't know. So it is terrible for those producers, but it is most likely like, and you know, not to be kind of crappy to them, but like, it's most likely not going to cause any problems. Yeah. And I I think that's probably true. It won't cause that many problems (laughs) for us. If I was, this is one of the things I kind of wanted to briefly mention is something that I've been looking into lately is uh, wine futures. So like you and Mm -hmm. I talk about that a little bit. I'm, I'm very much interested in wine futures when it comes to cryptocurrency. So, um, like one of the things I would, I, I think would be kind of fun for us to like work on is to put wine futures on a blockchain. And there's actually, there is a, um, there's a company, I don't know enough about them to really say what they're doing, but it's called Alti, A-L-T-I. And uh, they're doing mm-hmm. wine futures exchange on the blockchain, which I think is really interesting. Uh, I, I, I really see that like wine futures are very, is a great way to fund um, chain of custody when it comes to like biodynamic and organic. So that, that mm-hmm. kind of aside though, I, in this case, if I was to be able to buy futures, I would buy futures in Chile now because I bet you that I bet that the wine that comes out of Chile this year is going to be a lower yield harvest. And so those vines are going to be putting a little bit more concentration into the clusters that they do grow. And I bet you you're going to have very interesting, mm-hmm. very complex wines, and they're going to go for a very high price. So if you guys see, uh, I guess this would be the 2020 season, So because we're in 2019 now. So coming up in the 2020 season, keep your eye out for Chilean Malbec and Chilean Merlot. And um, what was the other one that I said? Uh, I think it was Syrah. So look, look for Merlot, Syrah, and Malbec out of Chile for the 2020 vintage I think this is going to be a good vintage. It it sucks for the producers because they're they're having to deal with this. But I a lot of times when things are bad for the grapes or bad for the wines or, or the I'm trying to, I'm saying this wrong, but bad for the vines early on, you're going to get like a really interesting product at the end, but it's going to be restricted. So you're going to have uh, less opportunity to get it. So. Probably in 2021, maybe 2022, you're going to be start seeing these hit the market, and they're going to be mm-hmm. really interesting. And go ahead and snatch up a couple of bottles of them. That's my recommendation. I'm going to be doing that uh, as soon as as when this growing. Well, you know, I, I could change my prediction though because we don't know yet. Maybe a fourth frost will happen, or a fifth frost, or you know, whatever. Yeah, we we don't know, and that's what's so interesting. Yeah, about exactly. This. Very very interesting. Uh, it's hard to be a producer, so. Uh, really, really cool article. I thought this was very interesting, and you and I will have to keep our eye on this and kind of update this as it goes. All right, yeah. I, I think that's all of the articles and stuff that I have this week. Do you have anything you want to add? 
No, uh, other than, you know, we're Tasting Anarchy. You can follow us at tastinganarchy.com, tastinganarchy uh, at gmail.com. If you want to send us an email, you can always uh, follow Jacob and his shenanigans on uh, Twitter with Tasting Anarchy. You can also follow Childerberg, which is our annual uh, Texas Liberty, you know, Southern uh, Pork Fest, basically, in Texas. Um, we are 23rd through the 26th in uh, Austin. At some municipal park that I can never remember the name Emma, of. <laughs> Emma, Emma Long Metropolitan Park. And I'm going to try to, probably by the time this episode airs, I'm going to try to have sign-ups available for you guys to register for a campsite. Very good. And then, um, you know, if you want to help fund the event, uh, the, we do it primarily through church, shirts, which you can find on shoulderberg.com. Mm-hmm. Um, if the collectible cheese shirts are there, hey, Go ahead and pick them up as fast as possible because um, they are coming down soon if they're not already uh, down. I don't think they're – yeah, they're not down. We still have a couple available, so if you are still interested, go ahead and grab one. Uh, once I reach 100 sales, I will be taking them down. Uh, I think I was saying that I was going to take them down in September. I went ahead and extended it because a lot of people still wanted to get them. But uh, yeah, so they're, they're still available. Go ahead and check it out and – uh, get a shirt if you can. I'm going to be revamping the website probably this week or next week, so it's going to be changing a little bit as well. So check out Tasting Anarchy and the Childerberg website because both of them are going to be changed. Oh, yeah, fantastic. I, I plan on redo, like doing a total overhaul because I have a, a new uh, a new interface, I guess, that I want to implement and see what see what it's like. We'll, we'll, we'll try it out. You guys can give me feedback if you like it better. If you like it worse, let me know because I can change it a lot. Uh, I think it's right. it. Oh, 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 Stay one more thing. Everybody. One more thing. Oh, Check out my episode on the Rolo and Slappy show, cause, uh, which we yeah. mentioned was... <laughs> uh, 165. Yeah, 165. Yeah, so uh, check that out because I talk crypto. So if you're interested in crypto... Oh, excuse me, 166. Oh, 166. Okay, so yeah, if you're interested in cryptocurrency and that kind of thing, I was I was on there. I do talk a little bit about wine. It's a very long episode, but uh, I think there's a lot of good content on it, so check that out. And I think that's it. All right, so all right. stay free. Stay free. Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drink it wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Cherry, cherry. Blackberry. Port and sherry. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willis Den. He wasn't selling but American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel. Have you got a dime? 
Let's get together and get some wine. Some buys fifth and some buys four. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, soda, you're drinking wine. Bye-bye. Wine, soda, you're drinking wine.